Well, I received a very interesting email this week from Israel Falau. Uh, he tells me that next month he would like to come to Edinburgh and he wants to preach the gospel here at Charlotte Chapel. Now, for those of you who don't know Israel Falau, um, he's courted quite a bit of controversy recently from a social media post. Um, he's, um, he's one of the star rugby players for the Wallabies. He's an absolute formidable presence on the pitch. He's a try machine. But uh, he's recently gone fired from his job uh, because he put this post on social media. And this is what it is. We'll put it up there for you. Warning, drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, idolaters, hell awaits you. And in the small print to the side, he's written this. Those who are living in sin will end up in hell unless you repent. Jesus Christ loves you and he's giving you time to turn away from your sin and come to him. And then he quotes various texts. Now, of course, um, the media have just focused on one particular word there and said such a ju judgmental and homophobic person um, it should be decried, and he has lost his $4 million four-year contract with the Wallabies because of posting this. And so he's keen to raise support for ministry he wants to do to spread the gospel amongst sports people, and he wants to come here and preach at Charlotte. How do you feel about that? Well, the, the, the rugby fans amongst you might be going, oh, wow, yeah, Israel Falau, yeah. And then the, and the, some of us are thinking, Wow, that would, uh, that would be controversial. Uh, we might get quite a bit of um, attention in the media if he came here. Now, I've got two things to tell you. Number one, Israel Falau did not email me this week. And to my knowledge, he's not coming to Edinburgh anytime soon. But secondly... I, I just thought that might give us a little bit of a taste of the reaction that the church in Rome might have had when they received this letter from the Apostle Paul. For sure, they would be excited to, to hear Paul come and preach. They, they had heard about his missionary efforts. For 10 years, he's been evangelizing the eastern side of the Roman Empire. But they will also know that wherever he has gone and preached the gospel, things have really kicked off. It's been very controversial. He almost brought the city of Ephesus to a stop with a mob riot. And imagine getting this letter from Paul saying, I want to come and preach the gospel to you in Rome. You can imagine going, oh, good. Well, let's open our Bibles. Let's read it. Uh, Romans chapter 1, and you'll find this in page 1,128. Page 1128 in the church Bibles. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. 
God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, please keep your Bibles open. This is God's word. And notice with me Paul's eagerness. Did you see it there in verse 15? That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Uh, the original language, he's basically saying, I am eager to evangelize you who are in Rome. Now that's a bit surprising, is it not? We often think that the gospel really is there to be proclaimed to people who don't know uh, this momentous news from God about Jesus. They're, they're the ones that need the gospel. But Paul is saying, I am really eager to come and evangelize you. Now that's maybe slightly odd to our ears because they're clearly Christians. If you look at verse 8, he regularly thanks God for them because their faith is famous all over the world. Well, you can imagine it, can't you? Wherever the gospel churches were planted throughout the Roman Empire, uh, they must have been thrilled to know that at the heart of the Roman Empire, in Rome itself, there were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine that that would have encouraged people to know that. And it is remarkable to think that this is within 20 years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that you've got the gospel having spread all the way to the very center of the empire. So they're clearly Christians. And yet Paul is so eager to preach the gospel to them. He's been praying for them, verse 9. He, he, he's earnest that he wants them to know he's genuine this. God is his witness, how consistently he has been praying for them. And he's been praying specifically for an opportunity to be able to come to them. But God has, uh, well, the events have prevented it so far. And he's praying that if God wills it, he hopes to come. Notice that as we think about praying and the will of God. 
He, he makes plans, but he knows his plans are in the will of God. He's asking God, but he's, he's submitting to the plan of God in his life. But he hopes soon that he will come to them. So why is he so eager to come and preach the gospel to them? I want to suggest there's two main reasons. Firstly, because the gospel strengthens. And secondly, because the gospel saves. So we're just going to spend some time on those two main points. Firstly then, because the gospel strengthens. Look at verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. In a tactful way, Paul wants to address some aspects of their church life where they are weak as Christian believers in Rome. I think that weakness is probably in two main areas. We're going to find as we work through this letter and read on that he devotes some chapters between some apparent tensions between the Jewish believers in Jesus and the non-Jewish believers in Jesus. There seem to be some sort of ethnic tensions where they're not fully accepting one another. And we're going to see that as we get to Romans chapter 14 and 15. Maybe, Lord willing, sometime next year we'll get to that, I think. And we'll work that out. Um, and this challenge of different ethnic groups being united together, this is a contemporary challenge, isn't it? Both in society and in the church. How does genuine, loving, cohesive unity come about in a community made of, of, of different ethnic groups, of people with different social standing, of, of different educational backgrounds and cultural backgrounds? Well, Paul knows that the only thing that will really bring them together will be a deep understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he longs to be able to come there and in person be able to share his spiritual gift of preaching and teaching the gospel that will strengthen them. And he, even as he says that, he, he doesn't want to come over arrogant as if it's this, this blessing is only going to be in a one-way direction. You know, I'm hoping he says that we will be mutually encouraged. And I think he's genuine in that. After 10 years of missionary endeavor, he had the scars to prove it. Literally, he had the scars to prove it. His body had been beaten so many times. He'd experienced so many hardships. And the stresses and strain of being opposed for over 10 years, of doing prison time, of, of having the anxieties of caring for all these young churches that he had planted, there must have been significant pressures on the Apostle Paul. And he says, look, I'm really hoping that when I come, I can be encouraged by you. The word could also mean comforted by you. And that's one of the wonderful reasons we come Sunday by Sunday, isn't it? Because as we uh, spend time together, we can impart uh, to each other spiritual gifts and encouragement that will mutually strengthen us as God's people. So he wants to join them. He wants to be with them and to see the gospel, which was, is the only way really that can humble us and bring us together. But perhaps there's a second reason of strengthening, and that is to give them courage to be willing to suffer for the gospel with Paul. As we've already said, wherever he went, things kicked off. There was huge opposition. And uh, yes, you can imagine, Paul saying, I'm going to come and preach the gospel to you in Rome. Wow. Well, he knows 
that what will strengthen them and give them courage to stand with Paul and to be willing to suffer with Paul will be a deep understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I suppose that is why he's written this long letter. You see, if Israel Folau really did get in touch with me and say he wanted to preach, or if any other stranger got in touch with me, the first thing I'd want to know is, what do you preach? What do you believe? You know, if we're going to have to suffer for this message, we better be suffering for the message that's found in the Bible. I don't want to have to suffer for something that's not in the Bible. And I think that's why Paul wrote this letter. He wants them to know, this is what I'll be preaching. And it's rooted in the scriptures. You can have confidence in it. And I want you to have such deep confidence that you're willing to stand with me when I come and preach the gospel to you in Rome. Whatever opposition may come. You can imagine it. There they are in the heart of the Roman Empire. The Caesar lives within the walls of where you meet and gather You've got the imperial guard. You've got uh, all, all the various uh, political leaders. You've got all the temples. Some of the temples were there to honor some of the Caesars as gods. There would be different festivals where uh, the Roman citizens were expected to take a pinch of incense and declare Caesar is Lord. But Paul wants them to have a deep confidence in the gospel. So in that very city, they're willing to proclaim, no, Jesus is Lord. That's going to take great bravery, isn't it? Where are you going to get that from? Deep convictions in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he wants to come and preach the gospel because the gospel will strengthen them. And secondarily, because the gospel saves. That word save, it sounds a bit of a religious word. It, it, it means rescue. And uh, we, we love it to hear these stories of when people are rescued out of dangerous, life-threatening situations. And we know there's huge bravery involved. You know, the boat stuck out in the middle of the ocean in the huge storm, and they're going to die unless the, um, the lifeboat gets out to them and rescues them. Or those divers who risk their life to go in the underground caves and to swim in the darkness uh, to, to rescue those young boys who were trapped in the caves in Thailand, or, or those miners who were stuck, uh, buried alive underground, and the incredible rescue mission to, to bring them out. See, what motivates Paul to be so eager to keep sharing the gospel despite all the hardships it brings to him? Well, he knows that the gospel saves. The gospel rescues people. That we're all in a life-threatening situation. That actually we are sinful people and God is a holy, righteous God. And there's a judgment day coming and we need to be rescued from a holy God. And yet wonderfully, God has come in a rescue mission sending his one and only son who came and died for us on the cross, who rose again and uh, through this Lord and Savior, we can be made right with God. We can be rescued. That's the message that kept him, uh, causing him to keep pushing through all the difficulties, all the opposition, because he knows this message saves. There are three great personal testament, uh, statements here in these verses. If you look at verse 14, he says uh, you know, about his motivation. I am a debtor, he says, verse 14. I am a debtor. Verse 15 I am so eager to preach the gospel. 
and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I made the mistake of reading John Stott this week, and it's only a mistake because once you've read uh, John Stott, you can't think of anything better to say. And uh, in his commentary, he makes this point, that this is quite a contrast to how we often feel about sharing the gospel. We see sharing the gospel as an optional extra. Paul saw it as an obligation. We are reluctant. He was eager. We can be ashamed while he is unashamed. Now, how was that? How was it that he had that mindset? How can we recover that mindset ourselves? Well, let's think about those three little statements. Look at verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. When Paul met the risen Jesus, he was commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was as if in that commission, God gave the Apostle Paul billions of pounds. But they weren't for Paul to hang on to. They were given to Paul in trust for all the people in spiritual poverty that the Lord Jesus wants him to pass it on to. And so Paul has this profound sense that he is indebted to share the treasures of Christ with the spiritually poor Gentiles, wherever they were. He felt a sense of obligation. He knew how glorious it was. He had to pass it on. All types of people he had to pass it on to, whether it was the, uh, the cultured and sophisticated people, the, the, the Greeks, the metropolitan elites, or whether it was the more primitive barbarians, the uncultured types, whether it was the people who thought themselves as, as educated and wise, the philosophers, or, or whether it was the people that the clever people looked down on as stupid. Well, he felt obligated to all types of people everywhere. They needed to get this wonderful treasure of Christ. And I think, in a sense, he is appealing to the church in Rome so that they may feel the same gospel obligation. See, this gospel obligation drove him forward to share the gospel. Look, that's the logic of verse 15. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. He longs to see a harvest amongst them as he preaches the gospel there. Yes, he hopes that some people will become Christians in Rome, in sophisticated Rome. But also he longs that... Um, that these, this church, uh, these believers will be so excited about the gospel that they'll partner with him as he's going to head further to the western edges of the Roman Empire, where the barbarians were, the uncultured Gentiles, that they'll partner with him to share the good news there as well. He had his sights on Spain, now obviously a very sophisticated country, but perhaps more barbarians back then. Maybe he had his eyes even further, maybe these savage Picts from Scotland, and the cultured Celts from Wales, who knows? But he longed to see the gospel spread. And he wanted them to share the same sense of gospel obligation and therefore gospel eagerness to see the gospel to go to all types of people. 
And why is he not reluctant to share the gospel? Because thirdly, he was utterly convinced of the transforming power of the gospel. The next two verses, verses 16 and 17, really are the manifesto for the rest of the letter to the book of Romans. Look at verse 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. He was unashamed because he knew that the gospel would never let him down. It is powerful to save people. God's power is at work as it is proclaimed. So that people are actually rescued as they put their trust in the gospel and put their dependence on Jesus at the heart of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not simply a message. It is something that is crackling with the power of God to save others. I think we can so easily be tempted to think that it is a weak thing and to be ashamed of this gospel. Um, I remember hearing about the, um, the time that Billy Graham, the U.S. evangelist, back in 1955, when the news came out that he was, he'd been invited to come and preach the gospel at Cambridge University, the kick you there, the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union, invited him to come and do a week of uh, gospel-sharing events. And it, 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 it made a big splash in the UK. There were, were lots of letters in the Times newspaper. And a lot of the opposition came from the churchmen, the clergymen. And they were kind of embarrassed at the thought of this uneducated American coming and preaching this sort of simplistic, fundamentalist, biblical gospel message uh, that he'd be laughed out of court by the sophisticated, educated students and staff in Cambridge. But of course... They were all wrong. The meetings were packed out. People were queuing to get in. And many delighted to hear the gospel and put their faith and trust in the gospel. It is the power of God that saves. Look around this room. There are many believers here. Not one of us have become a Christian without the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that gospel that has saved us and is saving us. And so um, when we have that deep confidence about the gospel, that it will transform people, we will, of course, want to invite people to come and hear it being preached. We'll perhaps even have a go at sharing it ourselves. I, you know, over the last um, nine years or so, one of the things we've, we've encouraged, I'm sure it was the same when Peter was here before me, was we've encouraged people when they've maybe got baptized or other times share how they became Christians. Who shared the gospel with them? And when did they believe it? And how is Jesus changing their lives? And it's so encouraging to hear that, isn't it? It keeps reminding us that the Lord Jesus is continuing to transform people's lives through his glorious gospel. We can have deep confidence in it. What makes this gospel about Jesus so powerful? Well, it's there in verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, this gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, in a sense, we're going to, over the coming weeks, um, work through this so that we really understand it, because Paul's going to explain this more fully in the coming chapters. And there's been lots of uh, doctorates and ink spilt on this uh, very verse. Uh, in summary, uh, again, uh, helped by uh, Mr. John Stott. He talks about there's three aspects of the righteousness of God. It talks about uh, his quality, his activity, and his gift. See, it talks about God's quality. God is in himself righteous, altogether right. And it speaks of, therefore, his activity. Everything that God does is right. He's righteous in the way that he condemns sinners. He's righteous in the way that he is able to save sinners. But thirdly, and this is the heart of the gospel message, that it is a gift. This is what is so exciting. This righteousness of God is something that God gives to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through his son coming to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, dying for us on the cross, us who are unrighteous, so that when we put our trust in him, he declares us to be in the right with him. This is absolutely revolutionary. If you know your European history, this revolutionized Europe. It was a medieval monk, uh, Martin Luther, who in the early 1500s hated this talk of the righteousness of God because he, he just felt it meant his condemnation. He was so aware of his sin and his guilt. And every time he read of the righteousness of God, he felt under the condemnation of it until he realized through his study of Psalms and through his ongoing study of Romans that actually what was spoken of here was not the condemnation of God, but that God was offering the gift of his righteousness through his Son out of his amazing grace. And it becomes ours through the empty hands of faith. We don't have to be religious. We don't have to uh, do penance. We don't have to do good works. We don't have to rely on priests uh, and religious stuff. We simply, with empty hands in faith, lay hold of this gift of the righteousness of God that's made to us through the saving work of His Son. That is the the power of the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. And it's all through faith. From beginning to end, from start to finish, throughout. This is a salvation that is by faith. It is all of God. I simply receive it with empty hands and grateful thanksgiving. Do you see how it's good news for everyone? We're going to see over the coming weeks. We've got some tough weeks ahead, folks. Because Paul's going to examine this person by person. Different type of person, different type of person. And he's going to, we're going to reveal this. We are all sinners. Whether you're um, moralistic or hedonistic. 
whether you've had a privileged religious background or completely irreligious background, the truth is that we are all people who've fallen short of the standards of God. It doesn't matter what our sexual orientation is or our sexual preferences are. All of us are sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God, in his amazing grace, has made a way that we can get right with him simply by trusting Jesus. And therefore, this is a good news for everyone. You don't have to make yourself worthy to get this. You don't have to uh, jump through hoops to get this. You simply receive it by faith. Have you done that? If you haven't, do it today. You can receive it by faith today. There's a prayer team at the front. They'll be delighted to talk with you and pray with you. This gospel is glorious treasure. When Paul received it from Christ, he felt a debt to keep passing it on. That's why he was so eager to preach the gospel to them. He knew it would strengthen them. He knew it would save people. Because he was unashamed knowing that the gospel is the power of God that saves people. Now when we get that, that's going to change us, isn't it? It's going to help us be even more united and harmonious as a church as we realize that actually none of us have any reasons for pride. We all stand on the same level ground at the cross of Christ. That's the basis of true unity that will hold us together whatever backgrounds we come from. And when we grasp the glory of the, and the treasure of this gospel, it will put deep convictions in us so that we will be eager and not reluctant at all to share it with us. In fact, we'll have deep convictions that are willing to suffer for this gospel. That's why we're preaching through this book. The Lord will help us here in the capital city of Edinburgh to stand for the gospel and hold out the gospel that will save people. Now may God do that work in this church and in our lives to his praise and glory. Amen.